everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. Hey church, if you're glad to be in church today, just say uh, woohoo! If you're glad to be in church today, and you know what, for my Alberta friend who's visiting today, and I want her to feel at home, if you're glad to be in church today, just say yeehaw! Yeehaw! Right on. We're glad that you're here. You know, uh, most Christians, um, if they are at least truly open to the supernatural God that we serve and have been a a believer for some length of time, are going to have some weird God stories, okay? Uh, normally, we like to save those weird God stories for small group. Um, I try to encourage people when they're talking with their unsaved friends or family, you know, hey, don't lead with your weird God story, okay? Um, work up to that. Uh, but look, the inescapable fact is, is that we serve a supernatural God who is doing inexplicable scientifically confounding, miraculous things in this day, in 2019. And the more uh, we try to put God in a safe little box that won't embarrass us or confuse us or, or take us by surprise, the more he defies our expectations. So um, I know there are visitors here today. I know there are skeptics here today. I know there are people just early in their spiritual journey, but we come to this chapter, we've been studying 1 Corinthians, so we come to chapter 14, that shows our God does supernatural, if you wanna call it even weird and wonderful things, often through us, his weird and wonderful people. And so maybe um, it's good just to remind ourselves that whatever God uh, that you're picturing right now, whatever, understanding you have of God, I'm telling you, that God is too small. (laughs) That God is too safe. Buckle your seatbelts. So just to recap, there's this church planter, Paul, and he has some advice and some directives for this this hip, uh, urban, artsy church filled with, you know, tattooed indie rockers who vape, right? And they're figuring out, sort of by trial and error, how to be a church. And the question then arises, what constitutes acceptable and unacceptable worship of God in this new thing called church? And some people were showing up, and they're like, hey, I'm sleeping with my stepmom. That won't affect my worship, will it? And other people are showing up, they're going like, hey, I like to get drunk. Would it be okay if I get drunk during communion? That's cool, right? And other people are like, um, Jesus is great. Would it be okay if we worship other gods and goddesses? So everyone's showing up, trying to figure out what constitutes acceptable worship and unacceptable worship of Jesus. And much like today, uh, the common answer, the word on the street was, well, good worship is, you know, 
whatever works for you, man. You know, like, does it feel good? Is it your truth? Then that, well, I submit to you that that's actually a tragic error in thinking, that worship is about God, and worship that is acceptable uh, to God is not worship that's acceptable to us necessarily, the worship. Worship that's acceptable is worship that's acceptable to God, the object of our worship. And, and so if God gives uh, boundaries and best practices, it means they're good for us because he's a good, good father who loves us. That being said, the people in the Corinthian church, they didn't necessarily agree. So perhaps some of you won't. They thought, man, this is too, this is too restrictive. This is too antiquated. This, this ain't working for me. So we'll start with the spiritual gift of tongues. And when your Bible uses the word tongues, it, it means literally from, from the Greek word languages. Do you have that up? Is it coming or no? Okay. And uh, there's, there's various languages, right? If you go to Mexico, people are going to speak Spanish. And if you go to Korea, people speak Korean. If you go to Quebec, they'll speak French. If you go to Texas, they'll speak redneck, You right? You know, you go to Newfoundland, it's all eyes to buy and, and whatever. If you go to heaven, there's apparently a heavenly language. And so when we're speaking of tongues, we're speaking of languages, earthly languages, as well as this heavenly language, apparently spoken by God and the angels. And when it comes to the gift of tongues, I just want to remind us that we reject sort of the two extremes. The one extreme is that essentially states that every Christian has to speak in tongues. And then the other extreme is says that no one should speak in tongues, because that was just for the first century church. And so we, we reject both of those. We have different gifts. Some of you speak in tongues, some of you don't. And, and like we said two weeks ago, you can't pick your gift. You can't fake it or manipulate it or watch a YouTube tutorial, right? You can't pick your gift. I remember, so you know I was raised uh, Pentecostal, and uh, thankfully, you know, very, just a balanced uh, um, gifts were freely expressed. Uh, and, but I do remember a sort of a parachurch ministry that was going around to different churches. It didn't come to our church, but I remember hearing about this, uh, where they would teach you to speak in tongues phonetically, hooked on phonics. Uh, so it'd be like, you know, repeat after me, wanna buy a Hyundai or whatever, you know. And look, I don't have this gift. Uh, so I don't speak to you this morning from experience on the gift of tongues. I pray for it, actually. Uh, I think it's a good thing to desire. But as of yet, I'll be speaking to you more theologically than experientially. Um, I would say if there are some of you who maybe have this inkling that you, maybe tongues is in your wheelhouse, uh, there are people in our midst who have this gift. I would say, you know, ask Johan Egelawadi to pray with you. Ask uh, Peggy to pray with you. There are others um, who, who can lead you through this 
better than I can. So Paul asks the question rhetorically at the end of chapter 12. He says, does everybody speak in tongues? And the answer is, well, no, but some do. And so there's this different ways that the New Testament speaks of the gift of tongues being expressed. The first expression is simply this. It's a prayer language. Um, Friends of mine who have this gift tell me that they'll be, for example, at home praying in English and then slip into this heavenly language. It's it's a language unknown to them, a a miraculous capacity that that gives um, kind of a private prayer time with God that connects them to the Lord in this beautiful way. And so Paul writes of his own experience praying in tongues. So if you hear some people say, well, I don't believe there's praying in tongues, I'm like, well, you know, take it up with Paul. You know the guy who wrote most of the New Testament? Um, So that's one of the expressions of the gift of tongues. It's a private prayer language whereby you aren't even altogether sure of what's being said, but you're connecting with God in this supernatural language that he's giving you. And I mean, this is one of the reasons I, I make no apologies for desiring it. Like, what earnest Christian follower wouldn't want to connect with God in a, in a deeper way? I want, I want all that he'll give me. And so the exec, second expression of this gift is really a, a, a missional gift, an evangelistic gift, um, where, where you meet someone You don't speak their language. They don't speak yours. And God wants you to tell them about Jesus. And God gives you this supernatural ability to speak their language, right? It's the missionary ability to speak a known earthly language previously unknown to you or or, uh, perhaps hear the message in your mother tongue. You'll see this demonstrated in Acts 2. At the day of Pentecost, there's this huge festival And all these people got together from all these different towns and cities, cultures and languages, and then the Holy Spirit drops, literally. And his followers start preaching about Jesus to different groups of people in their own language. Thank you. You were like reading my mind, simpatico. Mmm. And uh, here's the... The other cool thing, not only are they speaking in their own language, they're speaking in their dialect. I mean, this is, this is an unbelievable miracle, right? So, I mean, it's one thing just to pick up a new language instantaneously, but then to pick up the dialect, meaning if there was a Canadian there 2,000 years ago, it would have been like, so the gospel is like good news, eh? And an Australian would have been like, Crikey, mate, or yeah, okay. I w- and everybody, everybody's looking at them saying, well, these are blue-collar guys, and these are uneducated women, and how do they know our language, and when did they pick up our local southern drawl? And I mean, this is blowing my mind. And, and the Bible says that on that day, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and got saved. That's the supernatural ministry of being able to speak an earthly language that you otherwise have no ability to do because you've never spoken it. I'm told uh, that this is happening all over, particularly in the Muslim world, where Muslims are hearing about Jesus in their own language, perhaps Farsi, and 
Um, people are communicating in English, but they're hearing it. And I mean, unbelievable. You wouldn't believe it if, if you weren't a Christ follower. Um, it's probably not my story to tell. Um, but the nights, uh, this is my ask forgiveness instead of permission thing that I do, right? But uh, I hope I get the details right. But they were, they were in Quebec at a church in Quebec, heard a, a prophetic word in that, um, in that service that was really for them and what they were going through at that season in their life. And they were just so moved by that, hearing this prophetic word. They find out after the service that that was a word spoken in French that they heard in English. I mean, what do you do with that? It's just a supernatural God. And then the third expression of tongues is really a, a revelatory language. Let me put it this way. Let's say there is a, a king in another kingdom, and he doesn't speak our language, and we don't speak his, but he wants to communicate something with us. So he sends an ambassador to speak on his behalf, and we would need a translator, like uh, an interpreter, so that we in English could understand what the king had to say for us. It, this happens all the time, like at the United Nations, for example. Well, God is our king, and in his kingdom, he speaks heavenese or whatever it is, and he's got his own language there, and so there are times when he wants to speak to us in that heavenly language that we don't speak, and so what God does is he chooses a Christian to be like his ambassador, someone who has the gift of tongues, and they speak this heavenly language. And, and now we need an interpreter or a translator, someone with the, the gift that's listed in uh, chapter 12, verse 10, the gift of interpretation to, to translate so we know what King Jesus might want to say to his loyal followers. Like, this is wild stuff, right? Now, what about prophecy? Um, this is one where there's lots of confusion. I think we should maybe first talk about the Old Testament office of prophet, which is probably what a lot of you think of when you hear prophecy. And when we're talking Old Testament prophecy, we're talking a twofold ministry. One, they hear from God. God reveals his truth to them. He, he speaks to them. And then the second ministry is for them to communicate that to the masses. Some were speaking prophets. Some were writing prophets. Some were both. And so... Um, we're talking about Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. and um, We're talking about the guys who really gave us much of the Old Testament. And, and these are literally the spokesperson, the, the mouthpiece, as it were, of God. And so when they speak, they speak with the highest authority. If you counted the number of times that the phrase, thus saith the Lord, or its equivalence, appears in the Old Testament, it appears... 221 times in reference to a prophet. So an Old Testament prophet says, thus saith the Lord. And that's what it says in the King James. And it just sounds way cooler than your newer translation that says, God says, which is not nearly as epic. Thus saith the Lord has gravitas. It has Samuel L. Jackson written all over it. <laughs> and when the prophet spoke on God's behalf, listeners were to repent of sin and return to God. And so, with that being said, I want to warn you that there were and are false prophets. Jesus, John, and Paul, 
in the New Testament all say that there are going to be false prophets who rise up in every generation. They're going to lie. They're going to lead people astray. So you need to be on guard because if you follow a false prophet, you're inclined to join a false religion, worship a false god. And I tell you this because um, I want you to be discerning and not end up in a cult or some whack job religion, you know? You got to get your prophets straight. And to complicate things even further, in Deuteronomy 13 and 18, you show that false prophets can actually do miracles or false miracles. So just because somebody does signs and wonders don't automatically assume that they're stamped with God's approval. Because we see, for example, in, um, in the days of Moses that it was the Egyptian pharaoh who had his magicians do these fake signs and wonders, fake news, fake miracles. It says in Thessalonians that Satan is going to do counterfeit signs in an effort to deceive And secondly, false prophets are not going to point you to the Jesus of the Bible. Even if they use the name Jesus, Paul says in chapter 11, it could be another gospel. So I am sorry if you are offended by this, but Mormons do not believe uh, that Jesus Christ is eternal God who became a man. Muhammad did not believe that Jesus Christ is God. He didn't believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose again. That's a false prophet. It doesn't point to the Jesus of the Bible. I don't know how else to put it. Now, what happened in the Old Testament, according to Deuteronomy 13, is if you were a false prophet who pointed people away from the true God, what did they do to you? Yeah, stoned you, and not the good kind either, okay? <laughs> take you to the edge of town kind, okay? And so that is what happens to false prophets. That's why you don't get repeat offenders, right? This is like, yeah, I was a false prophet just once. That's all you get, swing and a miss, baby. And, and see, this is where in our day when you get sort of these cuckoo nut jobs on TV predicting the end of the world every couple months, and it's like hey, if you claim to be uh, the mouthpiece for God and you get it wrong, you know, do we get to you know, throw you down the 99 steps or whatever? Like, it settles a lot of that, oops, Poe Buddy's nerfed, right? God don't make mistakes like that. And so it seems every couple of months, there's just a new one who hears from God and says, this is the end of the world, and you know, here's the date, you better buy a generator and... Uh, canned goods and a gun and some Walking Dead DVDs and, you know, run for your life. And uh, look, I mean, if you, if you prophesy and fail and prophesy and fail and prophesy and fail, maybe you're not a prophet, you know? Maybe you should look into laying tile or something, right? <laughs> when you read the Old Testament, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that all come true in, in conspicuously accurate detail, and many of them are surrounding the person and the work of Jesus. Born of a virgin in the, in the town of Bethlehem, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, is betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, is, is hung on a cross between two criminals. I mean, specific 
prophecies, incredible prophecies, all centuries before Jesus was even born. I mean, the Bible is accurate 100% of the time when it comes to prophecies, and um, it gives you what a true prophet is. Your, your requirement is to bat a 1,000 in the Old Testament sense. So that means even if you get a guy like Nostradamus who maybe lucked into a few right ones, but mostly wrong ones, he ain't a prophet. So Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would live in Christians and would help us discern what it was true from God and what was not. Paul says to test the prophecies. John says to test the spirits, reject what is evil, cling to what is good. Meaning if, if somebody says they got a prophecy, great, test it. Check it against the Bible. And so what is the spiritual gift of prophecy then? Well, I believe like tongues, there are three expressions of prophecy in the New Testament. And the first is a, what I call, or what is called a, a foretelling. Uh, foretelling the word of God. In some ways, it, it's like preaching, which is what I do for a living. But it doesn't have to be preachers. It's, it can be taking the word of God and and by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you're proclaiming truth so that people uh, would repent of sin and trust in Jesus. And I mean, this is maybe the broadest, most general, most generous use of the word prophecy. Sometimes it's, it's what the Greek calls a, a rima word, a, a word from God for today, something to the church, something to an individual. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says that prophecy is to edify the church. So if I do my job right and I proclaim or prophesy well, then the whole church should be edified. And, and you know, my prophecy in this case is not some new word from God, some new book of the Bible. It's, it's a teaching, it's a proclamation um, that's based in Scripture. And so this Form, this expression of prophecy is connected to verse 6 that speaks of prophecy as a word of instruction. And then in, in verse 24 and 25, it says that this will allow non-Christians to come in, learn about Jesus, recognize they're sinful, and get saved. Uh, the second use of this gift is where it gets a little more controversial, and, and that is not foretelling the word of God, but foretelling foretelling the future. And when I say prophecy, most of you are probably thinking that. Uh, you know, this created my confusion when, you know, when doing some of those spiritual gift surveys and questionnaires. How many of you have ever done something like that? Yeah. And, and it kept coming up, number two or one or three, prophecy. And I was like, is that like, oh, I see an airplane, don't get on that airplane. You know, it wasn't that kind of gift. It was a forth-telling kind of gift. And so there are times when God has a word for a church like us, preparing us for some future event. It's a, it's a revelation that would otherwise be unknown. And the reason that God could tell us the future is because God has perfect knowledge, past, present, and future, all things. So so you don't get to elect yourself to be a prophet. Uh, if you read the Old Testament, they end up you know, getting killed and they cry a lot and it's not something you 
wish on your kids even. And as I say sometimes, it's, it's, not, um, it's not always a revelation to a group like this. It can be just to an individual. And that's why some prophecies shouldn't even happen on a Sunday morning. It's a personal one-on-one word of knowledge uh, or revelation from God through someone with a gift of prophecy. I was telling Johan this morning, one thing that I am so impressed with at NAC, and there's many people in our midst who have the gift of prophecy, is the humble way they work in this gift. I've never heard somebody say, uh, dogmatically, like, this is the way, walkie in it, you know, this is, this is from God's mouth to my ears. It's, it's, they hold it a little more loosely, humbly. Could it be that God is saying this to us? I feel like maybe God might be saying this to you this morning. I see a picture, and does this resonate with you? Um, I just, I feel like that's such a gentle and humble way of exercising that gift. And we see this uh, used in Acts 21. Agabus is a prophet, and God gives him a word on how Paul is going to suffer and maybe even die if he goes on this missionary trip to, to Jerusalem. Some of you have had this experience. You've received a prophetic word. You've given a prophetic word. And I won't ask you to raise your hand or anything like that. It's usually very vulnerable and special and Rare, personal, uh, completely legitimate, even if it's not necessarily a normative Christian experience. Prophecy does not supersede the Bible, okay? In fact, I hope you test by the Spirit what I say on a Sunday morning. So, okay, quickly, chapter 14. Follow along with me, if you would, in your Bible or on the screens. It says, follow the way of love, as Andrew talked about last week the higher way, the better way, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them, but they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So what what he says is this. I love all the gifts. If you want to honor one, honor the the teaching, the proclamation uh, of the Bible. If you have the prayer gift of tongues, it's between you and God. We, We don't know what you're talking about. We still love you. It's an awesome gift but we don't know what you're talking about. It'd be like if I got up here and, you know, started speaking in, in Wookiee for an hour, you know? Like, it'd be, it'd be cute for a minute, but then you'd be like, mm, we're lost now. And it's time and place, right? It's why it's often referred to as a private prayer language. And then prophetic proclamation, forthtelling, is is made for the corporate setting. Remember, the whole point of the spiritual gift is to benefit the body, edify the body. If you have the gift of hospitality, you don't just make muffins for yourself. 
right? If you have the, the gift of teaching, you know, you don't say, well, every Thursday night I lecture to myself in the mirror, no visitors, right? Uh, the main takeaway of spiritual gifts is to edify, benefit other people. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, Paul says. So, so does he say we shouldn't speak in tongues? No. But the problem is never the spiritual gift. It's the problem is always when it's exercised without love. Um, we believe in tongues. We just say, in addition to tongues, be loving. We believe in prophecy. But in addition to prophecy, be loving. So there may have been this attitude of, well, if it feels this good when one person speaks in tongues, then imagine how good it will feel if we all speak in tongues together. The louder, the better. And well, verse 13 clarifies. He says, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So my soul's connecting with God, but, and that's not a bad thing. But my mind is unfruitful. You know, I don't know what I'm talking about. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, I'll pray in tongues, but I will also pray with my understanding, right? My mind intelligibly. He says, I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. So part of the gift of tongues may include the ability to sing in tongues, sing in that heavenly language. But I think his point is ultimately, we don't check our brain at the door. God ministers to our body and our spirit and our emotions and our mind. He says, otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for the unbelievers. I believe he's talking about the evangelistic missionary gift, speaking that unlearned language to tell them about Jesus. But that's a bit of a controversial verse. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. It's the foretelling gift, the, the proclamation of the word, so that, that people would stop being immature and grow in their faith. So if the whole church comes together, just like today, and everyone speaks in tongues, like if I were to go, okay, one, two, three, lock and load. It's like everybody, it's a tongues fest. It's, it's tongues a thon. It's tongues a palooza, okay? We're not going to do that, by the way. I know some charismatics were getting excited. They're like, no. Um, if we all did that and someone comes in who's new, doesn't understand, you know, Nancy Newmarket or Kenny Keswick or Bobby Bradford. I can do this all day, folks. If you... <laughs> and they come in and they're like, hey, cool band and the girls are cute and I'll stick around and see what happens. And then it's like, yubba dubba Jesus, right? <laughs> um, the non-Christians are going to be like, Mm, I'd, you know, this is what Paul's saying. Like, ooh, is this happy hour at the Slovakian bar, right? Um, you guys are all fired up about something. I have no idea what. It would be nice if somebody clued me in. It would have been nice if maybe somebody had mentioned Jesus and that he rose from the dead. 
but they're so busy speaking in tongues and sweating and pulling a hammy that, you know, they never got around to it. And what Paul's saying is, you know, you gotta consider the fact that there are visitors, inquirers, he calls them. I like that. It's like, it's like seeker. And, uh, and, and there are non-Christians that, that come to church and some of them already think we're a bit weird, right? So you want to bring your friends to church and you want to have them hear about Jesus and, and not just get freaked out. He says, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, right? The Bible's being preached. They're learning sound doctrine. And they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment, the good kind that leads to life change, as the secrets of their heart are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Um, I want to thank you. Many of you are bringing friends. Thank you. Keep doing it. 100% of you in our, our recent survey said they feel comfortable and safe bringing friends to services at NAC. That's the idea, you know? There's momentum here. People are getting saved, and I think, I think it's because we're about Jesus. We don't celebrate the gift more than the giver of the gift. So, so you can bring your friends and not have them totally freak out, because we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to open the Bible, and we're going to have a coffee to boot. And then he says in verse 26, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So you say, well, I've got the gift of tongues. How does this work on a typical Sunday morning? Well, Paul lays down some best practices. He says in verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, and someone must interpret. You know, He's like, hey, I get that you're fired up, you're excited, you love Jesus, you're filled with... Red Bull and the Holy Ghost, right? But there, there's a way to do things. There's, there's best practices. And sometimes folks will say, well, we can't limit the Holy Spirit. Well, who wrote this guideline? The Holy Spirit through Paul. So you can't tell me the Holy Spirit told you to do something that the Holy Spirit told you not to do. I mean, I went to public school and I still can figure that out. And he says, one at a time. Second criterion, if everybody's speaking at the same time, you can't understand what is being said and everybody's just bewildered. Well, um, well, it works for me, you know, I'm fired up. It's not about you, it's about us. It's about what edifies the body, so we defer to each other. And the third criteria, somebody must interpret. So if it's spoken in a language we don't know, heavenly language, foreign language, um, it should be interpreted. Otherwise, the church isn't benefited. And then he concludes with this fourth criteria. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So, listen, we are all for passion and excitement. You know, if the Leafs get past the Bruins, everybody's going to raise their hands and scream and cheer and yell. I'll tell you what, Jesus walked away from the tomb. We should at least get that excited so it's good to be passionate and, and excited, uh, providing it doesn't lead to selfishness that excludes other people who've gathered to worship. And he goes on and he gives some criteria on how the prophetic gift ought to be exercised on a worship setting like a Sunday service. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak just like tongues, two or three. Others should weigh carefully what is said. 
And like, I'm not encouraging cynicism or skepticism. Um, just thoughtful vetting, <laughs> particularly if someone is maybe new to us, hasn't been um, vetted through relationships in the church. And they come in and they say, I got a word from God, I'm a prophet, thus saith the Lord. We should be like, okay, we'll see. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take a look at it. We're going to pray about it. We're going to check it with Scripture. In fact, I, I'll, bet, I'll bet there are ladies here in this room who have gotten the old prophetic marriage proposal. Am I right? Just that, you know, like the guy says, God told me you're supposed to be my wife. Really? Next time you talk to him, could you tell him to give me a call? Um, so we, we test these things. And he goes on, his third qualification is verse 30. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Jesus is called the prince of what? Peace. He's not the prince of chaos. That's the other guy. And so what Paul is saying, if someone walks in and it seems like these people worship a chaotic, whirling dervish, hot mess of a God, he says, we don't want to give that impression of Jesus. Jesus doesn't bring disorder. Jesus doesn't bring selfishness. Uh, he doesn't bring immaturity. That's the opposite of what we believe about Jesus. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. You know, welcome them if they're done maturely. Why would a church forbid something that God doesn't? And sadly, there are churches who do that. Why would a church forbid something that God gives to his people as a gift? But everything should be done in a fitting way. An orderly way. So, th so there's the distinction between spiritual giftedness and spiritual maturity. Um, the spiritual gifts exist for the purpose of demonstrating our love for each other, the knack family and the gifts that we bring in. So I'm about to wrap up, but if, if you're following along in your Bible, you'll notice I skipped a whole section on women. And we're going to circle back to that topic and some other misunderstood or controversial hot topics, hot topics that we skipped in this series because we didn't, it couldn't fit them in, they didn't really fit the theme, and I'm excited about it and I'm nervous about it. Part of me hopes that I'm, you know, I'm sick for this whole series, but, but if you like controversy, uh, or even if you like watching, you know, accidents in slow motion, uh, you're going to love this series. Um, look, all the gifts exist to point people to Jesus, not to detract people from Jesus. He came uh, the first time to live without sin perfectly, to die as the perfect substitute for our sin. He conquered the enemies of Satan and sin and death perfectly. And now Jesus, who has reconciled us to God, 
we who are imperfect, and he who is changing us as we day by day grow more like him. And one day, we'll either die, or we will return, or he'll return. But either way, um, we'll be made perfect, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, perfect, fully saved, fully redeemed, fully restored. Um, I want to invite my friend Shannon to come up just to give you uh, an example of somebody in our own midst who has some of these gifts. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad to be part of a church. Um, why don't you grab this mic over here, Shannon? Um, all kinds of people have either experienced this gift or have this gift, the Hearns and the Briggs and the Agalawadis and the Peggy and the Garbies and Stoskies and the Cowies, on and on. And uh, Shannon is a doctor and educated and quiet. She's the most unweird person I know. <laughs> and so she's a good example of, uh, of this gift. And maybe, Shannon, you can just tell us a little bit about um, maybe when you thought, I might have this prophetic gift. Is this is on? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, I actually never was searching for the gift of prophecy. That was never on my radar. Um, it was actually about 12 years ago, and I had, I had heard a um, message on, I think it was John 10, when Jesus was saying that I am the shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And I, I, I'd heard that so many times before. I had read it so many times before, but this time, for some reason, it just really really stuck with me, and I thought, you know, I'm a sheep, and I don't, I don't hear voices. I, I'm sort of led with, you know, peace. I feel peace about something, and I thought, I think I'm going to pray for that. And it was a little while later that I was reading in Exodus about um, Moses, and there was a verse there that, again, just jumped out at me. It was Moses communicated with God face to face, like just talking with a friend or a neighbor. And I thought, that's it. That's, I, I am going for this. I really, that's what I really want. So I started praying. I started asking God for that. And the days went by, and I didn't hear anything. And then the days turned into weeks, and I still, <laughs> still wasn't hearing anything. And I was getting very desperate, really. It's like if you haven't had a drink of water for a while, you get all the more thirsty, and uh, I, I, just, I just cranked up my prayers. I was, I was really, really wanting this. And the weeks turned into months. And there were days, honestly, that I was weeping on the floor of my bedroom, begging God. It's like, you're the God of Moses. You're the God of me. I, this is what I really want to be able to hear you so clearly, just like a friend. And... Um, there, there was no theatrics involved. Um, I don't know exactly how long I prayed. I believe it was, it was at least a couple months. Um, and I started, I started getting these, I can best describe it as um, spontaneous thoughts of clarity that I had never had before. And they weren't, they weren't something I was used to, so I wasn't really recognizing them as maybe God speaking to me. 
And um, oftentimes I would just dismiss them, you know, thinking, wow, that was very insightful of me, when it really wasn't me. Um, and I, then I, it, it happened often enough that I started paying a bit more attention to it. But then the whole idea of, okay, well, is this God or is this me or, you know, hedge my bets. What if it's the enemy confusing me, making me think it's God and therefore, you know, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was very much like this little kid asking, you know, for a two-wheeler, begging, pleading, crying for this two-wheeler. They get it and then it's like, oh, now I got to figure out how to ride this thing. And so I mean, the training wheels were full on and I realized I, I'm going to figure out how to ride this thing. And so I, I bought a bunch of books, actually, of people who, who heard God speak. And one of, the, one of the best books for me was actually um, Four Keys to Hearing God's Voice by Mark and Patty Verkler. It, it, just, it was really helpful for me as I had the training wheels on, trying to figure out how to discern, is this God, is this me, is this, you know, someone else? Um, and it was months, it was months of, of having those experiences, those thoughts, um, but then several more months of being able to trust them and, and being able to, you know, really, you know, depend on, yeah, you know, that was definitely God speaking in that, in that situation. So there's a, there is a cultivating of this gift, right? I, if, uh, Johan brought that up this morning in prayer time, that, um, like lean into it, like cultivate it, l grow in it, learn about it. I wonder if, and I don't want to, we haven't talked about what you're going to share, and I don't want to cheapen it, but I, I wonder if there's even an example from the past that you could share that sort of illustrates the gift in action. Yeah, well, actually, one of the, right in the beginning, when I was first being introduced to this, um, we, we have four daughters, and, and back when they were younger teenagers, one of my girls was going out with a friend that we had never met him, and if we had, we certainly didn't know him. Um, and they weren't sure what they were going to do or where they were going to go, but she had her cell phone with her, so we're like, okay, at least we can be in touch. And uh, the hours went by, and we didn't hear from her, and so we thought, well, we'll just give her a call, you know, see what's up, and wasn't getting a hold of her, and hours were going by, we still weren't getting a hold of her, and I was starting to get a little concerned, and, and I had this spontaneous thought of clarity that said she's at, the, she's at the second cup near Walmart, and she's totally fine, you don't need to worry about her. Mm. And it's so funny, because my first thought was, hey, maybe that was God, but I dismissed it, because it was, I thought, oh, this is way too precise, mm. you know, this is way, you know, there's way too much detail here, that couldn't possibly be God. As it turned out, she was at the second cup near Walmart, and she was totally fine. And like those, those were the baby steps for me, just realizing, okay, yep, that was God. That's what it sounded like. Mm. So then when I heard it again, I remembered that. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. What would you say to somebody who maybe is um, mm. dipping their big toe in the waters of this gift? Uh, any, any word for them? You know, God is not a respecter of persons. I mean, what he does for one, he'll do for all. He'll do for anyone who's interested in that. And, um, you know, the, the God of Moses is the God of us. Mm. 
and I guess my own personal experience is I, I needed to press in. Like, I, I needed those months leading up. I needed to be weeping on my floor. I, I needed the, you know, once the training wheels went on, I needed to, to continue to, to, you know, get wisdom and insight from people who had gone before me. And um, I would say don't give in and don't give out and don't give up. Um, until you receive that breakthrough that, that God has totally got for you if you want it. Amen. You give Shannon a big hand. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. Um, I, I want to invite the team to come up, and I'm going to ask if you would respond as we close. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, become a follower of Jesus. Um, from, from these two weird and wonderful gifts that we talked about, I want you to see that our God is a living God and he's a speaking God. He's speaking through this book we call the Bible. He's, he's using mature Christians to speak to you. He's using dreams and visions to speak to you. He's using um, what we would call your conscience to speak to you. God speaks through the words of Jesus, words of life. So give your life to Jesus. Respond to him in prayer. That's our way to speak to God, uh, through prayer. He listens to our prayers and he responds. He's a speaking, living God. If you're a Christian here this morning, maybe you need to repent of your skepticism, of your judgment of other people, uh, those who might have supernatural gifts. You... Will you stand with us? I, I just, maybe you would even pray that God would give you some of these supernatural gifts. But we pray, God, Spirit of the living God, that you would speak, that you would move in our midst today, in our family that we call Mac. I think it would be appropriate just to, just to make this microphone available. Would, would there be anybody who feels they might even have a, a word for us from God this morning? Yay. Good timing. I want to circle back and be mindful of the song we sang earlier today about God being an irreplaceable God, an irreplaceable God. I want to invite us to reflect on that. And to be mindful of that. And I feel like I hear God saying, like, what do you need? What do you need from me? Like, you need me to be your father. Do you need me to be your friend, your husband, your lover, your healer, your confidence? Because anything that we search for will fall short. That God is irreplaceable. He is our provider. He is our work. He is our job. He is our worth. He is our energy. He is our strength. He is irreplaceable. He longs to be irreplaceable in your life. He longs to be who you need and what you need. Who I need and what I need. And so let it not just be a song we sing today that he's irreplaceable but let us reflect on Jesus Christ the living God who is alive 
and he longs to speak, like individually, through your mind, through my mind, to your heart, to my heart, to your logical mind, to your thoughtful mind, to your soft mind. Yes. <sighs> Lord, we long for you to be irreplaceable. Yes. We long to lay down those things that have stood in the way of you, Lord. I don't want to seek another. <sighs> the Lord was giving me pictures like, like of the yucky stuff. <sighs> the stuff that we use to replace God. And we don't even know it. <sighs> you know, people hoard and people stay angry and people shop and people do things. We even do good things. We even serve. And it's, God just doesn't want anything to replace him. So I invite you, God, just to, uh, to be a priority. Yes. In my life, in my friend's life, in our family, like this family of Knack, Lord. Like, please just keep moving and be that gentle father and that good friend. Lord, move in our lives. Like, let us just, ah, oh, like, oh, that we would have a revelation of the Spirit of Christ in our life. Like, we would all be able to hear God speaking mm -hmm. with tenderness and with kindness, with clarity, like Shannon said, with respect, like, mm, like the God who made you knows you. Like the God who made you knows how you hear, knows how you can receive, and longs to walk with us and hold our hand, and guide us through the difficulties and guide us through the loss and guide us through the stress and the pain. You walk with us through it all, God, and you're speaking. Lord, I pray for my friends. I thank you that you speak. Thank you that you care. May you walk among us and that you breathe new life into us. And you like unclog our ears and you give us sight. Lord, for the people that are seeking wisdom for their future, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give light on the path, that you would help people to continue walking with you. People worried about their future, like give, give them this sense of you are holding them by your righteous right hand. Lord, for those who lack confidence, Lord, I just pray that you would like just, I feel like this, you know, sometimes people use this word backbone, but it's not backbone. It's like this strengthening. Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen people in their inner being, like there would be just this God-given confidence. People need healing in their mind. Lord, I, I know that you exchange beauty for ashes. We pray for the divine exchange. Yes, Lord. And for joy instead of mourning. And I just, I thank you that you are the God who wept too all-inclusive God <laughs> who welcomes us to come as we are and for those Lord that are just feeling like having a party 
those who need a friend to celebrate with, good news with, Lord. I just thank you, God, that you long to celebrate and have fun and enjoy and play. Oh.